Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Bullshift, the podcast, where we talk about personal finance with the lens of actually looking at things through behavioral finance and behavioral perspectives. I'm John DeGuy. I'm the author of the book Bullshift and also the host of the podcast. Welcome. My guest this week is Tim Hoover. Tim is the head of B2B distribution for Vanguard Investments Canada. And prior to that role, he was the head of product for the Americas region. He joined Vanguard in 2000 and has held various roles in the United States and the United Kingdom, working with Vanguard's global product platforms and intermediary channels for more than 15 years. Tim Hoover, welcome. Thanks for having me, John. Good to speak with you again. Uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with people that I think of as, as uh, industry leaders and people at the vanguard, get it, of the industry. And so I'm, uh, I'm, it's a real pleasure for me to have you on as well. I want to begin by talking about uh, vanguard. Uh, it, the people watching, the people listening, probably if, if, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know about vanguard because you're familiar with uh, the, the firm's founder, John Bogle. Uh, but the firm is a global colossus, and it does a whole lot of things. It's more than just the things that you probably thought you knew it about knew about it. So, what would you say, Tim? Are the maybe the two or three things that uh, Vanguard's best known for? Yeah. So, once again, John, thanks for having me. I would say, in terms of uh, Vanguard, when when most people think of Vanguard, yeah. they likely know Vanguard for low cost passive investments, and while our founder, uh, Mr. Bogle, certainly was a pioneer um, in indexing and in low cost. Um, most investors uh, may not know where that low cost originates from when we talk about Vanguard. And really that is from our unique ownership structure. And so first and foremost, Mr. Bogle believed um, that an investment management company should serve uh, investors directly align its mission, its interests with those that are investing in its funds and later on its ETFs. And while this notion probably seems reasonable, he actually structured the company in a way that, uh, that, that achieves that aim. And so for Vanguard, um, the investors in our funds, in our ETFs, they own the company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you look at other ownership structures, within the marketplace, it may be a, a management company, it may be a family that shares in the profits, that's different uh, from Vanguard. And so for us, when we generate any profit, any revenue, it goes to one of two places. Either we, we reinvest back in the business to improve our, our client experience, um, or it's provided back to end investors in our funds, uh, shareholders in our ETFs, uh, in the form of lower expense ratios. So really the goal is to enable the investors in our funds to share in the economies of scale as we grow, as we generate profits, we'll continue to drive down the cost of investing uh, for our clients. So very, very unique. 
It's likened to a mutual ownership structure, likened to a co-op, I think would be the closest thing to the type of structure that Vanguard has. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's something that's very unique in the industry. And I think it also, it also not only directly aligns um, what we do with the interests of our clients, but it, it creates a long-term perspective as well. Uh, if you look at our products, we, we don't chase fads, we don't chase short-term themes, really enduring investment merit, um, and, and we're consistent in the way I think that, that we operate in the best interest of shareholders. Right. It's, uh, it's funny because one of the things that Mr. Vogel was very fond of saying is you get what you don't pay for. And uh, investment products are, to my mind, unique in the marketplace because in almost any other thing, if you're buying a computer, if you're buying a watch, if you're buying a shirt, if you're buying a car, most of the time price correlates with quality. And the higher price product generally is the, the better product. But on the investment side, because you get what you don't pay for, the more you pay for a product, the less you get to keep yourself. And so uh, investment products are a bit counterintuitive in that they may be the only products that I'm aware of anywhere where oftentimes the best products are the cheapest. And uh, that's, that's a bit of a sort of a head tilt that people don't always, don't always think of. That's exactly right. It's, I think it's a misconception that uh, the more you pay, uh, the more you get, but you, you often with investments, um, you don't get what you pay for. And we see that on the active side specifically in terms of active management. And uh, it creates a, a higher hurdle uh, for that active manager than to outperform that higher expense ratio. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it takes returns away from end investors that over time compound and become very meaningful to the overall return of a portfolio. Exactly. So I, I, I should point out that uh, I sent a copy of my first book to Mr. Bogle in 2003. And right around Christmas of 2003, he uh, sent me a handwritten personal note thanking me for having sent it. So it was, um, uh, you know, I, I was thrilled. I still have that, that note in a little frame uh, on, my, on my desk so that when clients come by, when people come by, uh, you know, I can actually say, hey, you know, I got this from Mr. Bogle. But what was uh, especially uh, uh, exciting for me was I got a chance to make the trip down to Malvern in the autumn of 2017, and I had a, an hour-long meeting with him just personally. So it's it's funny because when you know when we talk about the the impact of Vanguard on the marketplace, uh, I, I have a real affinity for everything Mr. Bogle stood for, and and you know got a chance to actually spend some time with him before before he passed on certainly revolutionized the entire industry and we hear of so many gestures um, yeah. similar to this interaction that you've had john whether it's crew members employees at vanguard yeah. or externally um, with others in the industry so it's it's great to hear not surprised yeah yeah exactly so i'm wondering if you can tell uh the people uh listening in about the so-called vanguard effect not everyone would be familiar people are familiar with vanguard but they're not familiar with probably uh with the vanguard effect and i know that uh, you should know that before Vanguard came to Canada, I was one of those people who was lobbying actively, asking Vanguard to come to Canada to distribute its products because I wanted the Vanguard effect to kick in. So I'm wondering if you can maybe explain this for people. No, and we, we appreciate the, the support there as well, John, before we were here 11 years ago. Um, but as I mentioned, low cost for us isn't a pricing strategy. Um, it's really part of our DNA. It's the result of our structure. Uh, and so what we, we tend to see that when we, and we've seen this when we enter new markets outside of the U.S., we've seen this in the U.K., 
Uh, we've, we saw this in Canada. Um, before we even have launched products, but it's become publicly known that we are entering the market um, or that we once we are um, officially able to disclose that we're launching products, what we tend to see is an entire industry react to Vanguard by bringing down their costs in preparation to compete with, with Vanguard and, and our entry into that market. And so when we talk about the Vanguard effect, uh, it's really the positive impact that we have had, not just for our investors, but for all investors mm -hmm. in the industry. Um, and really the disruptive force that we've been able to really uh, be within, within the marketplace. And so we've seen the quantifying and have tried to quantify internally as well, uh, the impact that that's had for investors the savings um, that that once again compounds in their portfolios, and you know, just for those investors in our funds and ETFs here in Canada, uh, through the lowering of expense ratios over time, um, that's led to millions of dollars in savings for Canadians. Um, and if you look globally, uh, we've seen some external sources start to try to calculate the Vanguard effect uh, for the the millions, tens of millions of investors that we have. And that works out to a number that's hundreds, it's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars and approaching yeah. the last number that I saw potentially approaching a trillion, not an exact calculation, yeah. but it just shows the effect uh, that Vanguard has uh, when entering a market. And we're happy to play the role. If that's yeah. even for investors competing products, that's a great win for the entire market and for investors uh, across Canada. I know that Eric Belchunas has a book out uh, about about that right now. So I think this is a book that uh, I'll see if I can pick it up over the holidays as well and, and, and over the next little while, because I think a lot of people are coming to realize just how monumental the impact Vanguard uh, is. And, you know, they, a lot of people hadn't really thought about it. I think some people have, but, you know, but not everyone. And it's it's just interesting to think about how people need to come to terms with this is a firm that is quietly revolutionary. You know, it's, it, Vanguard is a, a firm that has done things that um, seems like it's not a big deal, but it's, an, it's in fact a very big deal. And I think it's especially a big deal in Canada where we have a lot of, let's call it oligopolistic competition, where we have, you know, you know if, you want, if you want to get uh, a phone plan, you've really only got three providers that you can deal with. If you want to do some banking, you've really only got five or six major national Schedule A banks that you can deal with. And so uh, in the early days for, for the ETF market in Canada, at the turn of the millennium, there were only you know three or four. But now we've got, I think, over two dozen and maybe even closer to three dozen uh, exchange-traded fund providers in Canada. And, and I think uh, the fact that you've got Vanguard keeping people honest with regard to their pricing and that many entrants into the system providing variety uh, not just on the low-cost beta replicated benchmark at a low cost, but also a whole host of active strategies and value propositions and ways of slicing and dicing uh, the marketplace. It's really good for the uh, for the end unit investor. Yeah, and happy to, as I mentioned, happy to play that role. And you know, we we when we look back to um, our entrance into this market specifically, we did recognize that Canadians pay some of the highest fees. Yeah for funds uh, in the developed world. And so, you know, we thought we could provide an alternative and, and we're here to do that and to hopefully create competition and uh, help disrupt an entire industry. Sure. So one of the things that I think the, the people at home might not be aware of is that Vanguard isn't just about 
passive indexing, that there are several active strategies that Vanguard has that complement their passive ones. Um, can you tell me maybe why Vanguard has decided to do both? Sure, and so many people, um, while known once again as a passive provider and um, really a pioneer in the indexing space, I would say many people, many investors may not know that we have uh, a really large actively managed franchise as well. And so our first uh, funds ever, Vanguard, um, our first funds were actively managed uh, prior to having uh, passively managed funds. Uh, we have uh, almost $2 trillion under management and actively managed mandates. And so if you look at that, that's just to equate that, that would be equivalent to the entire size of, of the Canadian uh, mutual fund industry here. So very significant, very substantial. We do call it the trillion dollar secret because to your point, I'm not sure many people would know that, uh, that we have that type of presence in the active space. So third largest active manager. Uh, we believe that um, you know, active and passive can play an important role within a portfolio. And so um, when we talk about passive, uh, just to clarify terms, you're, you're buying the market um, and, uh, and all the securities within a, a particular market. Um, and so that might be a, a logical starting point for many investors, but we also know that there are other investors that may be more comfortable with taking on greater risk um, in seeking that outperformance. And in the marketplace here, we do see investors using active and passive together in combinations and, um, and know that, um, you know, that's certainly um, relevant to a portfolio. And we also know that you can achieve success in the active space. Now you need what, what we would say three important factors, um, talent, cost, and patience. Those will be your key drivers to success in actively managed mandates. So on the talent side, being able to identify, um, you know, the best managers in the world, uh, skilled managers. And we think we have a, um, a really good process and team of almost 30 individuals that do that. We have managers that want to partner with Vanguard because of our size, because of our scale. Um, we have long tenured managers um, that we've built long relationships with. So I would say talent cost, we talked about, uh, you don't get what you pay for, uh, and it tends to work against you actually in the opposite, uh, where higher fees create a higher hurdle in the active space and then patience, because we know that there will be periods of underperformance on that path to outperformance as well. So we believe both can play passive, active, play an important role uh, in, in a, a portfolio. And we also think what we're bringing here uh, is another disruptive force for investors on the active side. Right. Right. I want to shift gears, but we've, right now we've been talking just about products up until now, but I wanted to talk a little bit about advice as well. Uh, several years ago, Vanguard put out a paper uh, talking about the notion of advisors alpha, about the, the, the value of advice. And I'm wondering if you could maybe just give us a brief summary of what that paper covers off. You can probably say it better than I could, and then uh, I've got a few questions for you about it once we're, once we're setting the stage. Sure, sure. So um, Advisors Alpha originated, uh, when I think about when that started, probably almost two decades ago, if not longer. And it's become, over that time period, uh, a really widely recognized and referenced piece of work in the industry. And so what, what Advisors Alpha really was, um, we, we believe that financial advisors 
play a very important role. They add a considerable amount of value uh, to the clients that they serve. And we really wanted to, uh, to, to calculate and to quantify the value that advisors can have for their, their clients. And so um, alpha, we often think of alpha in active management, that is the, the outperformance attributed to the manager above and beyond the benchmark. We see it with advisors as well. And, and I think many investors automatically go to the investments when they're thinking about uh, the value that advisors have. But what we find is that the real value is provided within those holistic wealth management themes. Uh, it's the behavioral coaching. It's the tax and estate planning. It's the rebalancing. Um, so it's really uh, beyond just the investments. Uh, we find that, uh, that the holistic financial planning um, and those aspects to uh, the advisor's practice are really the driver of the alpha. And, and we've quantified this to a value of over 300 basis points. So advisors adding over 3% in terms of, uh, in terms of return to end investors or, or clients that they serve. So um, it is significant um, when we think about that. And, um, you know, it's, it's when we look at the largest piece to that, it is the behavioral coaching as well, John. And that, that's an important aspect. Um, it's the, the human element uh, of the financial advisor relationship that you can outsource to technology or to digital. And, and uh, that makes up more than half of that 3%. One of the things about the Advisors Alpha paper and concept is one, uh, when, you, when you disaggregate the various things that make up that 300 plus basis points uh, value add, one of them is uh, recommending low cost product. And I wanted to maybe explore the notion of how things are framed. So uh, a lot of what I talk about on, on, in the book Bullshift and in, in the podcast is behavioral um, biases that we have. And one of them is framing. So the, the notion of uh, adding value by using low-cost products, you can say, well, if you, if you use a product that costs 70 basis points less, all else being equal, that's 70 basis points of added value. What would you say if someone were to push back and say, well, what if we just use the low-cost product as the default, and instead of adding 70 basis points of value by using the low-cost product, we subtracted 70 basis points of value by recommending a high cost product. It's, it's the same thing. We acknowledge that there's a 70 basis point delta between the low cost and the high cost. How would you respond to that observation? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, when we look at the components of Advisors Alpha um, and what's attributed to that move to lower cost product, um, we get to an assumption of 30 basis points overall. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that while that is, you know, cost is an important factor and can certainly help uh, lower the cost of, of um, the overall portfolio, we do find, I'll just go back to, we do find that the, that the value adds are within those other wealth management themes and go well beyond just, just movement to low cost product, although that is um, certainly a component. And I'm sure that, that, that the, the differential um, in many cases might be greater than the 30 basis points as well. Um, in terms of adding return to end investors. But, um, but I would say the, the assumption there um, on the expense ratio, 30 basis points, uh, once again, alpha generated uh, through other, other uh, wealth management themes more than anything else. Okay. So 
would then would you agree that if you're given a choice between two products and they use the same benchmark and they have the same general mandate, you know, to invest in you know Canadian equities over the long term and, and to, to and to get you know the best return they can out of fees, whatever else. Uh, that all else being equal, it's best to choose the cheapest one, or uh, or would you use some other way of of making determinations? And if you would use other ways, what would they be? Yeah, so I would um, I would say that headline costs, so the management fee, the MER, are important. Um, but I would say it's it's not the only determining factor. And and here we're at Vanguard, and we have low cost products, but um, I think that that also underscores um, the value provided by, you know, the investment manager, um, you know, the, the liquidity of the product. So let's take an ETF. And so the headline costs are low. First of all, you just want to make sure that benchmarks do in fact match up. Um, there are benchmarks of Canadian equities that only hold the largest Canadian equities tend to be more concentrated. Other benchmarks may, you know, hold the, the entire market or, uh, track the entire market. I think it's important uh, distinction there as well. And then when you start to move into some of the other factors that go beyond that in an ETF, you'll have trading costs as well. And so how liquid the, the underlines are, how liquid the ETF is, will create an additional cost. When you trade, you want to take that into consideration. And then I also think that there's this perception that passive management, uh, that there's less skill involved, that there's, there's, there are no ways to add value within the passive management process. And I will say that, uh, you know, when you've been a passive manager for almost 50 years, um, we take, uh, you know, within that investment management process, every basis point and every fraction of a basis point makes a difference. And so we're very thoughtful about how we trade, about how we rebalance the portfolios, about how we handle corporate actions, all of that adds up to return over time, leads to better tracking to the index. So investors want to take into account what does that investment management process look like and how well are they tracking the index? So uh, headline fees, I would say just um, make sure that you understand what's in that benchmark. Uh, headline fees are important. Trading costs are also important. How well the investment manager tracks to a benchmark, also very important. Um, and then finally with us, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we'd love to continue to bring down headline fees in the marketplace as we build scale and, and grow and so continue to, to drive those down in the future. So when you start talking about headline fees and trading costs and the various other things that go into managing a product, uh, to me, uh, the question that that begs is uh, you have two main ways of, of coming out with products in Canada. You can, two different structures. You can use an ETF or a mutual fund. Why did Vanguard choose to come to Canada using ETFs when they they largely made their name originally using mutual funds. Yeah, I think there were uh, a few reasons, John, for that. I think that um, one of the benefits of ETFs is that it really allows for, um, I think, greater access uh, to, to our, our products. It allows us to reach more Canadians through the product structure. We still find that with our mutual funds even today, um, we do not pay commissions, we don't pay trailers. We think that can create a conflict of interest, but having said that, that then limits our access um, with mutual funds. So ETFs as a listed security 
um, we are able to reach more investors um, just in the fact that it is traded on an exchange. Um, and it really, I think, removes any conflicts of interest, removes any commissions, any trailers. It is, uh, you know, uh, in terms of just the, the ETF structure, uh, it's beneficial from, from that respect. So that I think is really where we started here today. So we, uh, we began this conversation by looking backward and all the wonderful things Vanguard has done you know, since it was originally founded. I'm wondering if you can maybe look forward a little bit and tell me a little bit about either what you see as being the major initiatives of the company going forward or what you see as being the major themes uh, for retail investors uh, as we head into the brave new world 2023 and, and all that might lie ahead. Yeah, so I would say for us looking forward, I, I work um, with advisors, John, as you know, and uh, and I think we, we aim to, within the advisor space, continue to move beyond just a, a provider of what we think are world-class investment products and move towards providing solutions to advisors, being the advisor to the advisor. advisor. That might be through practice management, that might be through um, support for portfolio construction. So we have a number of tools and resources at our disposal, um, given the size of our firm that we're able to bring to advisors. So I would say that's that's one. I would say within the, um, you know, as we think about investors, uh, even direct investors through brokerage accounts, we, we do want to um, be an educator in that space and help support financial literacy going forward. And so look for us to really, I think one of the things that Vanguard does well, plain talk, um, really picking through the noise. And I think that's a relevant theme today when we hear um, themes regarding crypto or uh, you know, the, the 60, 40. So the balanced portfolio being dead, we don't, we don't believe that there's really, I think enduring investment um, uh, themes that, that we'll continue to, to, to preach about, stay the course, um, financial discipline as we move forward here. So I just think the amount of information, the number of products continue to swell, and that probably creates confusion as well. And we really want to help be a voice of clarity as we move forward. So um, that's really what you'll see uh, for, from us going forward in the, in the near future. And, um, and we look forward to it. I think in many ways, we're still just getting started. Yeah, it's funny because the, the, the great thing about the financial services industry is that it's constantly changing. And uh, if you think you've got something figured out, chances are you're, you're getting a little bit uh, uh, smug and uh, overconfident about the way things are going to work because uh, the industry, it just never, never stops changing and evolving. Uh, new products are being uh, brought to bear, but also new challenges in terms of the economic environment. And, and, you know, and, and new insights in terms of the behavioral coaching and the things that advisors could do that genuinely help retail investors reach better outcomes. And I think you know, it's the input from firms like Vanguard that actually help advisors do their job better. And, and, and frankly, also help to educate the investors to help the investors be more discerning. So it can be a, a mutually supportive feedback loop that you know, makes things better all around. Yeah, we, be we believe the same. We believe the same, John. Yeah, great. So we're coming toward the end here. So the uh, the end that I do for every uh, episode of, of the podcast, Tim, is I have two little things that I do that I ask all my guests to, to come up with. And the first is a section called That's Bullshit. 
And that's Bullshift is where you, where I invite my guests to think of something, anything, that they think could be done differently and done better in the financial services industry. Have you got anything that you might want to draw attention to that you think uh, if you could, if you could uh, deal with things that you would deal with? I would just say that um, I think it gets back to the point about um, I, I talked about the 60-40 the being dead, the balanced portfolio being dead. That's something that we're hearing quite often um, from, from the industry, uh, movement to maybe other asset classes, alternatives. Um, we feel like those can act more like equities in this market, but um, w we don't think the 60-40 is dead. And going forward, we think that uh, investors with um, a fixed income allocation uh, will be well served. So I, I would say for that, that's where I would go with that one. Okay. Well, then, and then if uh, if sixty forty is not dead, and you, and you want to call out those people who suggest that it might be, the the second half of what I what I talk about is shift happened. And if it were up to you, what would you do to proactively, positively change? those concerns that you just drew our attention to just a minute or two ago? Yeah. So I would think, I think we just, we're very data driven here. And um, I would say that if you look at the reset and in, in interest rates here, um, we, we certainly recognize that um, the 60, 40 portfolio and fixed income and equities for the first half of this year have been correlated. Um, we find that those are, those periods are usually short in terms of their, uh, duration and that uh, that we anticipate that that bonds and equities um, will be uncorrelated again in the future. We'll provide that diversification benefit. Uh, fixed income will be a buffer to to equities um, as we move forward. So I would just you know we would encourage investors to uh, you know stay the course there, uh, not to look to. Uh, other alternatives that may create undue risk within the portfolio and just take a long-term perspective to some of the noise that we're seeing here. Great. That's a really nice way to end. Tim Hoover, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, uh, you know, longtime supporter of Vanguard and a very longtime supporter of not just the company, but the company's mission and, you know, what it's doing. It's a, it's a real force for good in the, uh, in the marketplace in general and in the Canadian marketplace uh, in particular. So thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you and hopefully we'll see you around soon. Yeah, likewise, John. And we appreciate the, the ongoing support and uh, always great to talk to you. All right. Take care. See you. Bullshift, the podcast, was created in support of John DeGuey's book, Bullshift, available now online and in bookstores everywhere. The comments and opinions are those of the author and his guests. They are for informational purposes and should not be construed as investment advice. John DeGuey is an author, public speaker, senior investment advisor, and portfolio manager at Wellington Altus Private Wealth. For more information about John and his books, please visit standup.today. Bullshift, the podcast, is produced by TalkShoe, a division of IOTUM. love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 